This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Bama Online Podcast. This one, T. Watson, T.R. on a Wednesday, February the 17th, 2021. And as we bring site publisher Tim Watts on here, Tim, uh, does it make you feel any older today knowing that Michael Jordan, MJ, on this day turns 58 years old? Or do you still feel like the kid you were when you watched MJ work his magic back in all those days ago? You know, I think old age is hitting me different. I don't think it, it doesn't bother me. I feel like I earned it. and uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm, I'm glad to be here and, and I don't reminisce as much. Maybe I'm not as sentimental on stuff like that, but uh, no, I mean, I see the, saw the generation before him as they were fading out and Jordan, which was amazing to watch. And then we had Kobe and we got LeBron. We have a lot of guys that just sort of transfer over. I mean, it's weird. You know what I mean? I, I can't imagine being Michael Jordan and being invincible for whatever portion of his life and then being normal. Not that he's normal. I mean, he's on a $300 million yacht with a hot girl and smoking a Cuban, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's odd. Yeah. MJ uh, living his best life to say the least and popularity went back through the roof with the documentary back during the sort of early stages of COVID. I mean, that was a lifesaver about eight or nine months ago, wasn't it? We had nothing. We had nothing in terms of sports content as far as televised sports content. That's exactly Uh, right. And that sort of pulled us out of the doldrums a little bit. MJ to the rescue one more time. I have friends that ain't never seen Michael Jordan or an NBA game in their life rant and raving. And I could tell (laughs) because they were sending me dumbass texts like, Man, Scottie Pippen was good. I was like, yes. You think? Dennis Rodman was crazy. No kidding. He was, I was watching it daily. Yes. Imagine it was unfortunate on social media, but I knew when they were like, man, Scottie Pippen was good, that they just hit them 20 years after the fact that the guy could play basketball. So, uh, yeah. Man, well done. Some of, absolutely. And then some of that. Wait a minute. Who was this Carmen Electra? You got some of that from that documentary <laughs> as well with Dennis Rodman. You know, she looks the exact same, I believe. Exactly. Her and Paul Abdul, they kind just, of the same I, person. I, I, yeah. Harry's another. I don't know. If uh-huh. any, some of those women just haven't aged. Mm-mm. No, not in my mind, at least. Hey, uh, I'll tell you one way it does feel like uh, we're getting a little older is this weather. Uh, just brutally cold. And as we talked about before the podcast, some folks that we know out in the state of Texas, even into Louisiana, tough, tough times. Have uh, you guys been okay over there in the Birmingham area with this latest event, as they like to call them, Tim? They're events now when they happen. Yeah, we've had not. I mean, what's happening in Austin? You know, Hank's out 
out there. Shea Dixon, our good friend, is in Baton Rouge. You know, they've been hit hard. Shea hasn't had power in like three days. And his wasn't even a pleasant experience. Hank got snow. He could go out and play in the snow, do that stuff, those snowballs and that stuff. Uh, Shea got a coat of ice. I mean, Oof. it was like, he looked like Jed. They, that town looks like Paris, by the way. I think it's where some refer to Baton Rouge. Looks like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. Mailboxes <laughs> 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 and any animal left outside did not make it. It was it was a totally different setting. Shays was dangerous. Limbs falling from the heaviness of the ice. Hank's obviously not in an ideal situation with that thick snow, but it's snow. And um, they're doing something weird, rotating their power, which is uh, not – saw that. I was reading this mm. morning. is not something their uh, home uh, people appreciate. No, I was checking in with Hank, and you said it. Got some, some snow out there, and – you know, he's got the two young kids, too, man. And that makes it ex- exceptionally uh, worrisome when you're you're kind of sitting around hoping the power stays on. But uh, he checked been, in with Hank. Yeah. He's been better than most. I mean, I was reading horror stories. Yeah, he said he's been lucky. Yeah, that's what Hank I said. reading horror stories of people in Texas. And uh, our old buddy Charles Powers' brother's out there. And he said that they had – the grocery stores were basically on the COVID – system where you had a certain number of people in but nobody could go in until somebody kids like at the popular club somebody had to come out for you to down go on the strip yeah so you're not only in a line you're out there in the freezing you know Jeez. freezing to death line and uh yeah. having to deal with that you know and uh you know just another wave coming through here in the next uh little bit already going through i guess so we hope everybody out there stays warm, stays safe. Uh, doesn't feel like baseball weather or baseball season is upon us, but we are going to have that too, Tim. Coming up this weekend, Alabama opens with McNeese State at the Joe. First pitch for that opener on Friday, set for 3 p.m. Temperatures at that time on Friday expected to be in the mid to low 40s with falling temps throughout the game, but uh Still some excitement about this Alabama baseball yeah. team. I know you had a nice post there on the round table for us. Well, cold weather. Uh, Cade, my senior in Thompson, they uh, started their season Saturday, and it, it 34, 35, 36 degrees. The, mm. the problem is when that sun doesn't come out, when you're at a baseball field, if the sun comes out, 36 is a lot better, obviously, in any situation. But for them Saturday, it, it didn't come out at all. It was just sort of a dreary-type day. Um, you know, you see guys throwing, you see guys throwing balls their hands obviously weren't, uh, normal, probably a little bit frozen. So just a, just a weird, weird time to see baseball. But yeah, with Alabama, I think a lot of people are super excited about these guys. Yeah. You got an opening day ace and Connor prelip. You talk about some bees in the bats for McNeese state on Friday afternoon, uh, with a left-hander of that ability going for the crimson tide in the lid lifter. Uh, you expect a low-scoring affair, at least from the McNeese perspective, uh, as we get baseball going around here in Tuscaloosa coming up this weekend. Now, weather-wise, it does definitely feel like basketball season and perhaps too much uh, the kind of weather you expect during basketball season because as we record this on Wednesday morning, we're still wondering whether or not Alabama will be able to make the trip out to Texas A&M, a game that had already been rescheduled from Wednesday night to Thursday afternoon. 
Um, a team that this latest performance, Tim, 115 points with no overtime, by the way, 40 minutes, they're able to do that against Georgia last Saturday at Coleman Coliseum. And uh, again, we talked about it before, but just the depth of options that Nate Oates and this staff have put together now, you know, did hold over a couple of guys from the previous regime, as we know, but uh, the way that Nate Oates, Brian Hodson, uh, Antoine Petway, they, they continue to, to add talent. And, you know, with Oates, it seems like, as we've said before, any and all avenues are open to being researched or mined and uh, the dividends continue to show up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're looking and, you know, we said this about football and I'll say it about basketball. There's competition now. You know, last year's team wasn't as deep. You couldn't necessarily bring a Quinterly off the bench or a Primo off the bench or whatever you want to do. You couldn't sit one of those guys necessarily and still have the same output you do. By the way, I've been watching Kyra Lewis as a Pelican fan, and he's doing well. Doing good. You know what's crazy? Mm-hmm. The fastest guy I saw in college last year, and he goes to the NBA, and you so he'll look a little slower, but he doesn't. He's the fastest guy on the NBA floor every night, getting first quarter minutes, um, doing really well. I think he's – is he just – I think pretty sure he's still just 19 years old. So he's done well. But, yeah, Nate Oates and them bringing these guys. Uh, Georgia was just an insane game. And, yeah, I would doubt – I don't see them playing the Aggies. You know, I might be wrong, but looking at the weather, Aggies have not played many games this year as it is. Um, Alabama probably could use the break before hitting these final four games. I think their magic number is two. Is that right? They're three up in the loss column, and uh, they have five to play. So if they they – yeah, yeah, the the Aggies aren't really the issue here. Right now, Arkansas has won seven straight in the SEC, and you have a game in Fayetteville scheduled with Alabama and Arkansas one week from tonight. That could end up being big, but if Alabama were to play A&M – tomorrow and beat Vanderbilt here on Saturday, you're pretty much already closed things out at that point. Yeah, I agree. In the, yeah. So it been Alabama probably could use a rest, but playing that Aggies team who's really struggled, although traveling like right now seems like a mess. Um, you know, when I was talking to Hank, he said they're still got expecting ice to come in now. So it'd be, I'd be curious to see if they play, you know, and it's not just getting out there. It's getting back. Because you've got this next system that's coming through here in the next 24 hours or so, so uh, you got to con- got to consider both ways of that trip to College Station. Uh, not the easiest of trips to make, yeah, uh, as we know. Oh, yeah. But uh, so we'll see how that goes throughout the week. But Alabama certainly on the cusp of its first regular season Southeastern Conference championship since 2002. Oh. You know, one of the highlights, if, you know, with Alabama coming in to this possible SEC championship, we're seeing a lot of references to Antoine Petway's red shoes. You remember those? Absolutely. Red that game winner against Dwayne Census and the we, Gators. We yeah. have not talked about that in a long time, really. Um, I was there. I was with a buddy. My name, Matt. We were there, and the guy's wife behind me kissed me. When Alabama won, he <laughs> thought he was going to kiss me. That's how <laughs> that's how long he'd been for Alabama. I thought I was getting kisses all around, but he, um, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. We we're actually under that uh, behind that baseline when Shelton made the pass. You saw Petway cut, and he had those ruby red shoes on. Those I think they were Jordans, black and a lot of red on them. So I've seen a lot of references to that on Twitter 
and a lot of people telling him to uh, bring them back, which would be awesome. So it would be pretty cool. We're going to go down memory lane, by the way, where football is concerned coming up over the remainder of the show. And we'll also have our roundtable mailbag for you down the stretch of the program, a raucous version of the mailbag. That one got fun on the roundtable. That thread is something else. Oh, that T Watts and TR mailbag thread. So we'll have some fun with that as well. As we transition to football though, Tim, I wanted to touch on the passing of Lorenzo Washington at just the age of 34, uh, a guy that, I know you got to know very well throughout the recruiting process, and uh, we made a trip, you and I. We made the trip over to uh, Grayson High School and and were able to sit down with Lorenzo during his senior season. And, um, you know, just uh, a guy at the time, especially for that staff, for the Mike Shula staff, it was huge to land a player of that caliber, especially at a position of value like the defensive line. And, uh, it, I guess it speaks to just an entirely different era, too, the fact that we loaded up and actually made a road trip over to, to sit down with a recruit. We not only saw Lorenzo Washington, we saw Alabama beat Georgia in basketball. In Athens. Yeah, and another yeah. little game we made the way over. But, yeah, Lorenzo, I haven't obviously haven't kept up with him since he left Alabama and hadn't really heard a lot about him. I was surprised the other night when I heard it. I had former – Teammates of his reach out to me, former coaches and people that knew him. They were pretty – there was a lot of shock um, from people that sort of – I guess they just heard the rumor and they called trying to confirm it. But, there, you know, there's a lot of shock. 34 is really, really young. I don't know exactly – I don't know what happened. Um, but he was always good in the recruiting process. Ended up at uh, Hargrave, I think. Um, I made a trip up there. Somebody stole my debit card and spent half my money. But – all those guys were, you know, he was one of those guys. We're going there, and Mickey Kahn was the coach, right? Who's at Clemson now? Yeah, and yeah, he was. You could see the formulation of that program. Lorenzo was after, and we were there, man. That guy was a, that was a big guy working. You know, he was doing work. Uh, coach assured us it wasn't just to show off because we were there, but always a good guy. And you know, I saw a lot of the reaction, so I know he meant something to people because I saw the reaction on social media and on the message board. So. Yeah, just a damn shame. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute shame. And, you know, when you think about holdovers from the Shula era into Nick Saban's first three or four teams, including that 2009 national championship team, it's hard not to think about Lorenzo Washington, along with Corey Reamer, Eric Anders, Javier Arenas, Justin Woodall. Uh, Rashad Johnson, a former walk-on. Rolando McClain was a guy who had committed to Mike Shula prior to Mike's dismissal later in that year. Uh, I think that gets overlooked a little bit, a good bit, actually. That that 2009 defense specifically, you had some Shula guys on the offensive side of the ball, Greg McElroy most notably. But on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of those guys were critical to that championship team. Yeah, I think when you look hindsight, one day maybe we could break that down. Shula had some some hidden gems, you know, when he was at Alabama. You know, a lot of the not higher-rated guys, not a lot of the celebrated. I don't remember Lorenzo, Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo being very celebrated other than by Alabama fans, you know. But I think a lot of those guys were big hits for the staff. They had worked real hard. Uh, Paul Randolph, I know, had prioritized him very early in the process, so – Definitely a, a good recruiting win for them. And Shula and them had some, and those guys 
contributed. You don't have to look any further than Javi to see exactly to what lengths they would go to find guys. They were a hard-working staff, but they were obviously crippled under different circumstances. So it was a little bit different to get – you know, it was a lot bigger deal to get your five-star five star Andre Smith for Mike Shula than it was Nick Saban. But they were completely different circumstances too. Absolutely. What we're going to do now is we're going to head to a break. And when we come back, we're going to stay on the trip down memory lane. On this edition of T. Watson TR, we're going to review that 2008 recruiting class, the second class under Nick Saban, the first full class under Nick Saban at Alabama. We'll do that with BOL site publisher Tim Watts when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back with more of T. Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast. And as promised, Tim, let's get into it. Let's talk some 2008 recruiting class. Again, that first full class under Nick Saban. And I guess when you go back and, and really just look at it from 10,000 feet, didn't seem like there was a lot of middle ground maybe with this class, Tim. You had the, the, the all-timers. Uh, like Julio Jones, obviously, at the top of that class. You had a Heisman Trophy winner in Mark Ingram. Um, you had some other highly decorated, very, very impactful uh, players in that class. You had a number of guys that went on to play in the National Football League. And you also had some guys, for a variety of reasons, didn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean, you sign 30 guys, you're going to have some hits, you're going to have some misses. This class, of course, will be the one that sort of cemented Alabama's, you know, national reputation again, sort of put them back on the map. 09 was also a great class, so back-to-back great classes. But this one was watched closely because, obviously, Julio Jones was a big name, was a big deal. Um, Early on, I remember Todd Watson was the coach at Foley, and he sent me film. I believe his quarterback's name, Roosevelt Bird. And you're watching Bird, but you're noticing Julio, who was going into his sophomore year at the time, I think. And uh, obviously the guy was a big time talent, went out to the Hoover seven on seven, met with him. Only time I talked to him was under the bleachers, normal dude, quite very quiet. Um, didn't want to talk football even then. I don't even know if he had offers. He didn't mention any, but he, uh, he would talk about anything else. He would talk about his teammates. He would talk about basketball with you, which he played, but he didn't really want to talk about recruiting or himself a whole lot. So obviously he was the big one. He was the national signing day. Everybody was, was uh, hoping for um, Alabama fans were hoping for, and obviously a huge priority for the Nick Saban staff. When did the buzz with Julio really start to crank up? Because you know we we knew about guys like Dylan Moses and Leonard Fournette as far back as even I guess the eighth grade with guys like that. Um, they came a little bit after Julio, though. Had we had reached a point there in the late aughts where even with Julio, there was sort of this growing buzz very early on in his high school career? I mean, I heard talk of Julio in uh, 
in Mobile to some degree. You know, the first guy that mentioned to me was a former college coach, and he thought he could he, he thought he could play at UAB. Now, granted, Julio was a uh, freshman at the time, and he certainly could have played at UAB as a freshman in high school. He was that talented. But the buzz really began after going into that junior year. They ended up with uh, the Hoover 7-on-7. Seven seven. I think a lot of people follow recruiting have seen his catch where he's one-handed, um, seemingly with his hips almost at the guy's head level. So definitely sort of came out. His junior year was all the buzz, was all the talk. But, you know, back then we didn't really talk about young guys very much. You know, we sort of had a, you know, the, the, the industry and even college coaches, we sort of focused on priority was the seniors and we'd start getting to know the juniors. We didn't really worry about sophomore and freshman as much. Um, so it was sort of natural way this happened. But when he blew up, he instantly became a guy – Everybody was talking top 10. I know when we first started talking rankings, that's all we talked about was top top 10. When I met Julio, he was still Quintoris. So it was a that was the name given to me as who he was. That's his real name. And then later on, Todd Watson said, call him Julio. And it just sort of just sort of went from there. But there's no denying how big and physical the guy was. He's an, even as a sophomore, it was just very impressive. And that was a big year just in South Alabama in general. Forget about the fact that Julio was a uh, top three national recruit overall. But, you know, we talked about B.J. Scott and his importance and what it signaled when he jumped on board there pretty early in that cycle. It didn't necessarily translate to the kind of career that I'm sure B.J. or a lot of people anticipated for him in Tuscaloosa, but Again, just the statement that it seemed to make down in that area where Alabama had had its struggles pre-Saban was important. And, you know, Mark Barron from down there and even from Foley, you know, the the guy that gets overlooked in all this was sort of considered to be the the throw in from Foley with Julio Jones. A guy like Robert Lester had a hell of a career at Alabama from that class. Yeah, he did. You know, he he blew up on that – ESPN game had a couple of picks, have a couple of big plays. I forget who they were playing. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but Alabama was sort of on the fence about offering him. And yeah, Mobile in general was a huge, huge, huge. We discussed this on the last pod. It was very important. Alabama hadn't did a good job there. Nick Saban had done a great job there at LSU. Came back, knew how much talent there was. You know, I often say not only is Saban great and prepared and hardworking. But he's also one of the luckiest guys you will see. He walks into Alabama, and his first class is loaded in an area he's super familiar with all the coaches, which is Mobile, Alabama. So he walks in, has a guy, like you said, Burton Scott. BJ was a guy who instantly gave Alabama street cred because I think up to that point it was sort of seen a little bit like the lame school to go to. You know, like, you know, it's kind of lame. We want to go to LSU. They're sexy. We want to go here. It's sexy. All those kind of schools. BJ gave it instant credibility. So when you're looking at guys getting a guy like that, all of a sudden Mark Barron's looking a little different. And Alabama was always in good shape with Mark Barron, Julio Jones, all those guys. And he was sort of that, you know, that leader. When you talk to people in Mobile, when you talk to the kids, I always like to ask the kids, who's the best player you played against? Who's the best player you've seen? Everybody talked about Burton. Everybody talked about BJ. Um, BJ Scott, he was electrifying. He was fun to watch. He was a motivated guy. I remember his senior year, he told me he sprinted between classes and would do 100 sit-ups and 100 push-ups between the bells before each classes. 
that's five classes. That's 500 and 500. So um, definitely a little bit of a different animal. So when we look at this class and we sort of continue on uh, through the, the the group, and as you outlined earlier, uh, didn't lack in numbers back in those days. This was the kind of Alabama class that drew uh, drove the the folks in the in the Big Ten nuts um, with the the oversigning. But uh, some highly regarded guys, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, uh, not just uh, Julio and, and the offensive side, but Mark Barron went on to a great career at Alabama. Courtney Upshaw uh, took a little time to get going, but once he did, he was very impactful. And um, oh, again, though, back to the offensive side, guys like Barrett Jones, Mark Ingram, you talk about two of the more higher, highly decorated players in Alabama football history. It doesn't get much better than Mark Ingram and Barrett Jones. No, I mean, Barrett started at four positions or three positions in four years and Ingram obviously came in. Ingram not only just – Ingram did just win the highest. But I still think he was the best college running back I've seen at Alabama. And I know that's a mouthful. I know we've seen Najee, who I love, and uh, we've seen Derek and all the guys, we all these great running backs you've seen. But Mark was the most running back from my generation type guy I saw. He was that five foot ten, thick, really quick, good vision, could bounce off of you, that guy. You saw him. He had success in the NFL despite going to a team – that was quarterback by Drew Brees, you know, mostly a passing offense. Mark was always that guy to me that sort of – that was the running back I grew up with. Now, later on, we got to these, you know, these taller guys, these bigger guys, you, you know, obviously Derek and Najee and, you know, TJ Yeldon, some of those those bigger running backs. But at the time, Mark, to me, was the most instinctual running back. Um, and, again, showing Saban's wide range – of, of connections and how much they paid off by re- reaching up into Michigan to get him. He was a track guy. Barrett was a little, was a little bit different. It's kind of funny. Um, and you know, Dave Unger, who was at the Alabama staff, I get a call from Mark Godfrey and he said, Hey, I don't know if this guy's this good, but my, my college roommate's son and his, you know, Rex Jones was his college roommate or his college friend. He said, he's here at camp and everybody's telling me this guy's a big deal. He just got an offer from Auburn as a tight end. So we called Dave Unger, and I was like, hey, this guy's supposed to be good. He's an Alabama legacy. Mark Godfrey's personally calling me. Go over and take a look at him. Dave comes back and said, hell, he's not a tight end. That's the problem. He's an offensive lineman. Um, so it's an interesting story there how Alabama sort of is in you know, pretty good shape. You know, all the, all the Jones boys ended up at Alabama. But with Barrett – he was at camp in Alabama was sort of, you know, he was going at tight end. Auburn had offered him, but have Mark Godfrey call me and go, Hey, I don't know if my son, you know, I don't know if my buddy's son's that good, but he's got a son named Barrett who turned out to be one of the best, you know, the most versatile, you know, college offensive lineman I've ever seen. No doubt about it. Um, Mark Barron was that kind of guy in high school too, right? Coming out of mobile versatility could do it on both sides of the ball and talk a little bit about, Mark Ingram's recruitment, given that he was from Flint, Michigan, and how this started to maybe show, uh, along with a few others, that as we sort of anticipated, uh, Saban and his staffs at Alabama weren't going to be limited to just that three-hour radius around Tuscaloosa. That was going to be critical, no doubt about it. But in going to a place like Flint, Michigan, and there were ties, obviously, I guess Nick had coached. Uh, Mark's dad in the past, but um, started to see more of that, I guess, Tim, with this 2008 class too. 
Yeah, he saw him sort of flex his muscle in different areas. And Mark, you know, Mark was kind of quiet. I don't know if they were waiting to see senior film. He was a track guy. I don't know if it was just kept quiet. But it snuck up on us in November and December. All of a sudden, he's a legitimate candidate. I think everybody had him penciled in for Michigan State, if I recall correctly. Um, I think I'm a mater of his dad. Yeah. Most people had him locked in there. I know the people at Michigan State felt comfortable that he was going there. Now, when Alabama made this push, uh, it was rather easy. And he was one of those dominoes coming down the stretch where it went boom, 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 where Alabama had that succession of like four or five commitments uh, leading up to Julio. So there's a lot of excitement around Mark. Alabama fans, once they saw his film, certainly were excited. Defensively, this ha- this class had some big hits, sort of in the midsection of it. Um, not guys that were terribly underrated, I would say, but you know, Marcel Darius was ranked as the the number fourteen strong side defensive end in the country. Um, yeah, Damian Square, one of those early hits out of the state of Texas, the state that's become so good to Alabama. Uh, Robbie Green was one of these guys uh, that, that Alabama made some inroads with early on in the state of Louisiana. And then Dante Hightower, um, nationally ranked, according to the 24-7 composite, number 303 overall and uh, what he was able to bring to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Dante was something else. You know, he's playing sort of small ball in in Tennessee. So, you know, it was a little harder to evaluate him, but we loved him. I mean, TJ, TG, our uh, photographer, the old BOL photographer, he shot up to uh, the Tennessee game and I paid him to swing by the uh, Dante Hightower's high school game that night. And he called me on the way and he said, Hey, I said, you get anything good? He said, yeah. He said, I got a kickoff return. I said, what? He said, I got a key return to kickoff for a touchdown. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, he returns their kickoffs. I was stunned that the future linebacker at Alabama that size was returning kickoffs. I thought he might have got a big hit on a special teams coverage. So, obviously, that kind of guy. Robbie gave him, you know, back-to-back with Luther Davis. Robbie Green was a New Orleans kid. He's a Burton Burton special, you know, dialing up, giving him some credibility. Further in that credibility, that street cred you want in Louisiana. Damian Square, I mean, to, to not have been talked about a lot, Huge get from a big high school. Still in the NFL. Saw him last year with the Chargers. And um, obviously, Marcel Darius was underranked. I'd take as much blame for that when I was uh, we were still across the street at Rivals. But I was told point blank he, he was going to have no chance to qualify. Marcel had a twin brother, which was insane. I went out to Huffman to see him before their senior year. And, that, I mean, they were identical twins, basically. I mean, it was hard to tell them apart. Had a little tomfoolery going on with them. But – he, uh, you know, worked his senior year, got his grades, got his AT, ACT score, which was the biggest concern. And, and um, you know, a big-time player. You could see him on tape, how good he was going to be. And at the time, Huffman was producing some talent. I mean, that around that era, you had Stanley Robinson, the basketball player, went to Connecticut, who was a McDonald's All-American. You had Andre Smith, of course. So, I mean, Huffman was producing some big, big-time heavy guys at the time. So, but, yeah, a lot of talent. And pretty broad range to stretch out the way they did. New Orleans, Houston, Birmingham, you know, so you're seeing him stretch out and going for already establishing, hey, we're going to get the in-state kids, but we're definitely going best available. Yeah, Robbie Green was one of those guys that looked like he was going to be next guy up in the secondary. 
after that 2009 season. He had an NCAA-related suspension, though, there, uh, I believe, at the end of that season. It just never quite worked out for him, but a guy who definitely had promise back there and uh, uh, would have, I think, joined Robert Lester and some of those next guys up uh, that we're going to push through in the in the coming years. Mark Barron certainly a part of that group as well. And then, you know, from the JUCO perspective, it's amazing the impact that Terrence Cody, Mount Cody, made on this defense. Nick and the staff tried to fix the interior of that defense. Already had Rolando McClain at Mike Linebacker, so you were good there. But, man, Tim, you put Terrence Cody at 380, 390 pounds in front of Rolando McClain, things just went to another level on the interior of that Alabama defense. If you go to his profile, that's that's his weight's pretty correct, his high school. We had him at 6'5", 395. I don't know if he was quite 6'5", but he was a he was a he was a large man at the time. And I remember talking to to uh, someone in Alabama that told me, "Yeah, if he gets under 380, we're going to take him." Which and that's when I realized how big he was. Under 380, that's that's pretty big. You know, they were hoping to get him to 360 to play. So obviously, a really big guy. But you know, even at that size. He was quick. He was quick for 300 pounds at almost 400 pounds. He was quick. And he, you know, Terrence is that guy like you see the movies where the guy runs forward and knocks one guy down and spreads his arm out, grabs two more. That was Terrence. He was taking three with you. So just a, you know, a big guy changed the whole, you know, if you look at him statistically, there's not a lot of stats to say he was an All-American. But if you watched Alabama and you watched everybody else or you asked the guys that played with him, on defense, they would tell you he took a lot. You know, he took a lot of of heat. That he, you know, he took an extra, you know, blocker that you know allowing guys double to teams. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, there was plays he definitely had three guys chipping in trying to keep him from collapsing that pocket. Yeah, I think uh, Rolando McClain loved Terrence Cody. Had to. I mean, imagine having that kind of guy playing in front of you. And and he had. And you're right because of how offenses. Clemson found out real quick. I'll never forget that 2008 season opener, Cody's first game. I mean, it was – I found myself laughing in the press box at the old Georgia Dome because it was as if Clemson was trying to deal with an alien, a Martian, you know, a kind of a superhero. They, they just didn't know what to do with him. And, you know, he was able to dominate the interior of that game pretty much throughout that season. But – uh yeah, it was it was a lot of fun with Terrence Cody while he was at Alabama. Uh, obviously beloved by the fan base and you know, a guy they were able to do some different things with uh, as well. Hey Tim, uh, you know what else? And I know you've mentioned this in the past. This <laughs> this class had a baseball feel to it with some of these guys that signed back in 2008, didn't it? Yeah, especially you know you had guys, you had Destin Hood. Now, Destin, we knew early on, you know, they had the they had the threesome over there. They had St. Paul. They had Mark Barron, um, Ivan Matchett. They had Destin Hood. And then they had a young kid named A.J. McCarron, a year younger, who was their quarterback. They went on to win state that year. Destin, we knew, was a big-time baseball prospect. We knew he was a big-time baseball prospect. Everybody told me, ended up, you know, going baseball, signing, making good money. Play, believe he got to the majors a year or maybe two. I would imagine his career is probably over now, but um, definitely had a chance, but he was a heck of a, he was a heck of a football player too. I would have, I would have and did argue that maybe his future wasn't better on, um, 
on a on a football on a football field rather than a baseball field. To me, baseball is just tough as hell to make it. You know, they start you got to go through. You know, you got to get drafted. You got to go through rookie, low A, double A, triple. I mean, you got to go through a lot just to get to the league. Danny Destin was a very natural athlete. Had good size. Probably could have projected as a safety, even a you know a wide receiver though. But really, in a in a great kid from a great family. So that was another of those mobile guys down there. Yeah, Destin, uh, he did get up to the big leagues with the Marlins in 2016. But you're right, man. That is the the tough road to hoe. You know that what they look for in the minor leagues are the guys who can't make it more than they're looking for the guys. You know they're just weeding you out. Is all they're doing from the start of the process. I know a lot of young guys they go into minor league baseball thinking that they're being put on a path to make it to the big leagues when in reality the challenge, the test coming from the club is let's see why you can't. And then the survivors at the end of the deal are the ones who ultimately end up there. Another mobile guy, Glenn Harbin uh, was an edge defender type from McGill tool in high school. Another mobile area guy uh, came to Alabama. Didn't really work out for him on the football field, but interestingly enough, he shifted over to Alabama baseball and became ultimately the UA baseball team videographer. I didn't know that until I did some research for this podcast. And you, you also had Melvin Ray uh, in that class too, Tim, that, that went the baseball route and yeah, ended up playing football at Auburn, I guess. Melvin, very similar to Destin, same size. You know, and you see that Major League Baseball will draft on potential, hoping to hit a, hit a home run. You look at Destin, you look at Melvin Ray. You remember Jay Miller from Selma? Was another one. Yeah. They are all athletic kids, six foot one to six foot three. They will take a chance. You know, Jay came back and walked on in Alabama at one point. He committed to Stanford. But all those guys, you know, and it's like you said, they'll they'll chop you up and eat you out. Melvin ended up in minor league baseball a couple of three years and then ended up playing wide receiver at Auburn, oddly enough. He was recruited by Kirby Smart. Um, I knew he was a baseball player. I didn't think he would be going to play professional baseball. And I'm not sure others around him thought uh, that that either. So pretty pretty interesting situation. We have two baseball guys, two athletes. Um, Melvin's career didn't go as well as Destin, who did actually make it to the majors. And you still had a local feel to this class. We talk about how you started to see the real impact regionally in the southeast and even into Texas and going up to Michigan for uh, – a pseudo legacy, I guess you could say, in Mark Ingram. Um, but you still had, you know, you still had guys like Tyler Love from Birmingham, uh, Michael Williams from right across the road there in Reform, Pickens County, came to Alabama as kind of an outside linebacker, tight end prospect, started out at outside linebacker, spent just a cup of coffee there before making a successful move. To the tight end position, you also had John Michael Boswell, an offensive lineman from Tuscaloosa County, was a career reserve depth provider for Alabama during his time uh, at UA. And Brad Smelly, you know, a three-star tight end from ACA right here in Tuscaloosa. Um, took a little time to develop, but by 2011, he was a big part of that offense. You know, I've talked a lot about Tyler Love over the years. If you'll go back and look who Tyler played behind, at left tackle and right tackle, his entire career was spent behind future first round draft pick at left or right tackle. So just a really hard spot. You know, his best chance to play was his last year when he decided 
Uh, and he's a smart guy. You know, he was a smart kid that, you know, wanted to move on with his life. And we see that from time to time. But one of the most position blocked guys I've ever seen probably was Tyler Love when you look back. I mean, and, and I don't remember all the names now. We can look them up. But they all were first-round draft picks. So tough road yeah. hoe indeed. Yeah, it's tough that way across the roster, as, as you know, Tim, on an annual basis. And I think even Ben Davis sort of fell into that. We mentioned Ben Davis because here in the last few days, he's announced via social media that he's going to use his final year of eligibility elsewhere. Um, ben was a hell of a high school player, but you come to a place like Alabama, and when he came in, Alabama death-wise, both inside and outside, was in great shape. And then about the time where he, the window, right, oftentimes is so small for these guys. And if you're not at the right place in your development, and that includes your health too, because Ben had some of those issues during his time at Alabama. If you're not in the the absolute right place as far as your development, when your window presents itself in most instances at Alabama, uh, it's easy to go a career without uh, making a huge impact on the field. Hey, Tim, before we uh, get into the mailbag, the roundtable mailbag, wanted to get your thoughts. We haven't talked about Elijah Brown. Speaking of recruits, uh, Elijah Brown becoming the third commitment for Alabama in the class of 2022. Obviously, tight end continues to be a position of need, and it looks like Alabama did well by itself in, in this uh, young prospect. Before we forget, we almost forgot Jarrell Harris, who was a really big deal for Alabama in that 08 class. He was. Had Drake, mm-hmm. I mean, we're about to overlook a guy like that. Had Drake or Patrick, don't forget, who was definitely a big-time player in that next class, very close. Um, Jarrell was the kid that he went home from his official visit, and I called and said, hey, can we talk about your official visit? And he said, let me finish my workout. So he had, Jarrell had left Alabama a little bit early to rush home to get a workout before I could talk to him. Definitely a guy, probably didn't live up to his billing, obviously, but a really good, really good guy, really hard worker, and really was a big deal, especially paving the way for uh, down the road with uh, Drake or Patrick. Uh, Elijah Brown, yeah. you know, the thing about I love about Elijah Brown, the one thing I love the most is I don't have to answer is Alabama getting a tight end this class for three <laughs> four days, like I almost always do. Alabama fans love the kickers, and they love the tight ends. I don't know why, but I get that answer, uh, that question asked the most. Um, when you look at this guy, a little bit different than what we're used to seeing. This guy's athletic. He can run. He plays basketball. Big upside. You know, and I've said this before on the roundtable, if Alabama's taking guys right now, we saw what they did last year. They were very picky. They were very thorough. They vetted really well, really deep. If they're taking guys right now, you can be assured that they are a top priority. So taking this guy, when they were still in the in the process of putting together a whole staff, basically. So we've seen half a staff transition. This guy obviously was a priority. Um, also going to stand out because it's Bill O'Brien's first recruited Alabama. So it didn't take long. You didn't have to wonder if he was going to have much of an impact. And you throw in Jay Graham, who was helping – as the tight end coach. So this guy answers a lot of questions. He checks boxes athletically. He checks uh, guys, you know, he's a little bit more in that Jaleel athletic uh, category you're looking for. But the thing you like about him is he also blocks. You watch his film. He'll he'll lay paws on you. He'll, he doesn't mind blocking. And those tight ends that love to block, that like to, you know, that have that frame to get bigger, I think they're going to do well at Alabama. 
And Ty Simpson, the four-star quarterback from the state of Tennessee, was expected to make his intentions known on Friday of this week, citing inclement weather, though, a few days back on his Twitter account. Ty Simpson says he is now pushing back his commitment to a week from Friday, still 2 p.m. Central in the afternoon, a week from Friday. But uh, what what are your thoughts on that situation as, as we, we get ready to hear from him? You know, I think it's still to be determined to some degree. Uh, I feel like Tennessee was in a pretty good spot before Jeremy Pruitt left. I know Pruitt had built a pretty good relationship with that family. When Pruitt left, they instantly jumped to Clemson. Clemson lock and Clemson has made him a priority, but I'll tell you what, since Bill O'Brien's been hired, he's did some work here. And, um, I still think that guy's got to be impressive to talk to on the phone. I think that's got to be a guy that when you talk to as a quarterback, you can understand what he's saying. You can under, you have to, you, you know, the experience he's got, the, the, the guys he can lay out for you. Um, so I think Alabama's dead in the midst with this thing right now. Still early for me to call it, but I think Alabama's certainly involved heavily. Well, and as you know, you'll want to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com as Tim and Hank South and our guys do an unsurpassed job when it comes to recruiting coverage as you anticipate that upcoming announcement from Ty Simpson. Hey, let's get into the roundtable mailbag if you're ready to do that. Put your mouthpiece in, Tim. I got my helmet on. Let's go. I put on some Kevlar. I'm ready for whatever they're ready to to throw at us at this point. Um, something that we threw out there as a topic for the mailbag was best family-based sitcom of all time in television history. Best family-based sitcom. What do you got, Tim? I've got the winner. <laughs> You're not going to argue with me. It's Andy Griffith. Ooh. There's not a mom, but there's definitely you got Aunt B in a weird mom role. It's funny. You got the weird uncles. You got the crazy scenarios. You got the crazy situations. I would have voted, and I, you know, and, I, and I love the Cosby Show. I think it was great. Obviously, it's a little bit tainted now. It just, you know, a lot of it's just weirder. But it was a great show. It was a funny show. And if I'm going with new shows, I don't know if you've seen Fresh Off the Boat or The Goldbergs, but you're not going to find much better shows than that. So obviously. There's a lot. Modern Family's another one. There's so many good ones. You what about get. The Simpsons? I mean, no, where does The Simpsons fall in all that? I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons. I've never been a big fan, but its, it's, it's popularity is undeniable. I mean, we are. It's amazing. Uh, people <laughs> love it, love it. I just struggle with cartoon um, type comedies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that. Yeah. I've seen highlights, and one of them. The Family Guy highlights, it, or he has some of the, my, you know, Patrick Brown on the Tennessee site sends me some of the best lines from that show. That's a great show as well um, for uh, for highlights. But I just don't do the cartoons as much. But I mean, can't argue with the Simpsons success. Uh, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. If you like any certain family comedy, I mean, that's probably all for you. I know older generations were talking about All in the Family. Was uh, was really funny. I'm not as familiar with that one as I am the other ones. Andy Griffith, I definitely grew up with. Um, you know, Cosby Show was more of my generation. But now watching it with the kids, some of these newer ones, Modern Family, The Goldbergs, Fresh Off the Boat, they're all basic wonder years. They're all basically the same to me in a lot of ways. It's just the family. Is the family Jewish? Are they African-American? Are they 
are they uh, uh, Asian? I'm not sure where fresh off the boats from wherever, whatever they are. They're just, they're just, that's usually the <laughs> most families, real families are sort of the same in that situation. It just depends on their location. Wow. I, you know, I, I think what I'm hearing here is formed of your talk because you're kind of like me. I didn't catch Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show in real time, but pre-cable back in my youth that's what we had on reruns like during the summer in the 70s especially i mean you would watch andy griffith and probably like gomer Pyle, things like that those were just on sort of a loop leave it a beaver maybe um but i'm gonna go all in the family i just thought it was incredible television at the time i'm pretty sure you can't do that show today uh, Archie Bunker, when you talk about iconic characters in television history, for me, he's got to be network television history anyway. He's got to be top five for me. And it was a show that was on in our house every time it came on. I think it was Sunday nights. I seem to recall it being 60 minutes and all in the family on Sunday nights. That's what I recall. That does sound now, And sticking with that era, I mean, you got to think about the Jeffersons, the spinoff. From All in the Family. Um, I love Good Times. Good Times would be up there for me, too. Good Times is really good. Now, that one's I'm very Thelma. Thelma was probably my first uh, TV crush back in the day. Bernadette Stannis. You remember Thelma? Oh, absolutely. I remember Thelma. I know that was one of the few. Janet Jackson. Young Janet Jackson. Penny was on there. Remember Janet Jackson when she was on Good Times? Absolutely. John Amos was great. Yeah, he was good. He's great. And coming to America, I never. Whenever I watched that, and I watched it with the kids the other day, um, I always remember that he was one of the few dads that was allowed to spank you with the belt. (laughs) (laughs) Dad was pulling off a Sears and Roebuck four inch thick belt. I remember thinking, "Geez, Louise!" Even back then, and and again, you know, and does Sanford and does Sanford and Son qualify? You know, that that's. I think it has to because you're talking about. Father, son. It, I agree. And I mean, it's one of the shows. I mean, it had, I mean, I mean, some of those shows, when you look back, all, Jeff, um, all in the family, the Jefferson, Sanford, son, they had Fox. Oh, Ed Fox would tell you, even, even in his older shows, like Harlem night, I'm not sure how many of those shows you could really get by with right now, but they were funny and nobody had a problem with it. Um, then Fred had some issues with other people. Of course, he had issues mm-hmm. with Mont, but, you know, just overall, you know, like I said, I don't think you can go wrong with any of these shows. I'm not as familiar with All in the Family. A lot of these shows I got familiar with, like you said, like I never saw Andy Griffith live, but as I got older, especially when I was like moved out and got my first apartment, I used to wake up to the whistling of that song. I would wake up. It was, on, you know what I mean? Songs six or eight times a day. You can watch it at night. Yeah. Night here, you can watch it between, I believe, 10 and 11, it's on in the morning. You can watch Andy Griffiths on Netflix. I've watched episodes with the kids. Um, just very hard to find a hard to find a child actor who went on to better things than Ron Howard, too, right? I mean, Opie did all right when you look back on it. I mean, he went on to Happy Days, and then as a director, what he's done in film, pretty good, pretty good uh, transition for Opie. His his children are acting. You see them in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You had a great career as Ron Howard's brother. The guy that you remember, remember the kid in Andy Griffith who had the he always in the cowboy yeah, stuff. Yeah. He had 
that dude's in. I mean, I was watching an episode of Workaholics with my wife the other day, and walked in prolific. And walked yeah. in Ron Howard's dad and his brother, and his brother <laughs> has been in the most. I mean, he's got bit roles, obviously, but I bet he's been in a hundred roles at least. Yes, he. Yeah. Just, I just look up and we're watching the show Workaholics, which is sort of a fraternity raunchy type show. Guys are just crazy, hilarious, and. um in walks Ron Howard's dad and his brother. <laughs> as pawn kid. shop, pawn shop guy in the uh, mailbag says, for him it's Family Matters by a mile. I'm not sure um, as I am. Other yeah, I, I remember Family Matters, but I mean, I, I'm not going to put it ahead of all in the family. I mean, come on, we're talking about iconic family. I don't think I don't I don't think Family Matters was Urkel, was it? Let's see, maybe I'm mixing the shows up. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. Family Matters was that a uh, Michael J. Fox? That was Urkel. There's no, I couldn't stand Urkel. Okay. Yeah, right. definitely Urkel. No, Not you're right. You're right. I I, I get that's it. That's why I didn't too. watch it. Urkel, Urkel, Urkel got on my nerves. Two two seven. Yeah, once I once yeah. saw Urkel. I was at a Duke basketball camp in the early 90s and you know urkel uh i should probably know the name of the the jaleel white is that the name i don't think that's that it. That's, it. that's it he fashioned himself as a baller back in the day in real life you know and so i i was at a uh i was at a mike shashevsky duke basketball camp in the early 90s i mean you had guys like leitner hurley grant hill they were all working the camp and uh, Urkel was there balling. Yeah, Jalil White back in the day. He wasn't bad. Wasn't too bad on the basketball court. I've hey, uh, I've seen him in a lot of movies. Not a lot, but I've seen him in movies. And he's always ready to whoop somebody's butt because they keep calling him Urkel, which I can imagine that character being so popular. Going through your life and having people holler Urkel at you at the mall by the time you're 52. <laughs> you know what I mean? That probably is annoying as heck. Well, it was it had to be tough because like he's Urkel to everybody. Well, he's globally. Now for Pete's sake, so he's not that bad. And it, and then he then he tries to go to things like basketball camps and then have some swag and convince people that no, I, I I'm really not Urkel. You know, I, I can actually hoop. Uh, you know, the the swagometer takes a hit when you when you're that guy to so many people. And you know what else with this mailbag? Rusty Manziel hijacked it. Did you notice that? Our guy, Rusty's a high, Georgia site. We're wishing our best thoughts. Rusty had small back surgery last week, recovering. Oh, okay, obviously bored and on BOL decided to try to start some trouble with me. I see about Friday. Yes, he did. Try yeah, to- Bojangles. Oh, hey, he loves Bojangles. He, loves- he asked Bo- Bojangles or Popeyes for the last meal. Is one question he had for us. You know, if it's just straight up fried chicken, I'm going Popeyes. I'm going spicy Popeyes. There's no doubt. But if my last meal is breakfast, that Cajun that Cajun biscuit, that Cajun biscuit for Bojangles, Bowtime baby, it's Bowtime if it's breakfast, Tim. Bojangles does a good job with their fries and their biscuit, but when I go to Popeyes, I'm just eating chicken. Absolutely, solid red beans and rice. But when I go to fried chicken, I don't want a biscuit. Rusty also wanted to know how in the hell did you know Deshaun Hand was going to Alabama? I guess oh, that was you. that Rusty and the boys got high. You know that snuck up on us. That was quiet. It's one of those deals where it was Michigan. It was Michigan. You know we sort of assumed it was Michigan. We weren't hearing anything, 
And I got the I got a tip almost by accident. I won't say from who, but it was a great source. And I got a tip, and it was an accidental tip where we were discussing the class, and um, it said, "Well, with so and so, so and so handed so and so on board, we probably won't take them." And I said, "What?" Playing <laughs> 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 on one hand, and so that day Charles Powers was with us. I said, "Man, this kid's going to Alabama, or he's trolling Alabama." Which, hey. That would have been ahead of its time, but you know, back then nobody really lied to Nick Saban. Now we've had guys, we've had kids that have told Nick Saban they're coming. Sage Ryan was the latest one, told Nick Saban they were coming and then changed, you know, changed their mind or just lied and trolled or whatever. Tony Connor was a big one who ended up going to Ole Miss. He told Nick Saban. So um, so I put in that crystal ball and it, you know, it was a little, you know, the thing about the crystal ball is it gets mine gets a lot of attention. When I put one in, I can have a lot of people will follow it. I don't really like it because they're just following it because I picked it. It's sort of, you know, it, you know, it, you know, I can pick a punter from California. Not everybody in this company can know what I know. So it's sort of awkward for me. You know, you can catch a little heat for that. But with Deshaun, I put that bad boy in and ain't nobody followed. <laughs> there wasn't nobody <laughs> first with me. All my boys were texting me, Rusty, all my guys, Josh Shea were texting me like, oh, man, but they didn't follow me. On that crystal ball, so um, <clears throat> obviously a big moment um, with Deshaun Hand. One of the one of the legitimate surprises uh, we've had. I don't know why everybody thought he was a Michigan lock, but that was all the discussion. And you know, I fell for it until the last twenty four hours as well. So that's how I knew. Jared Burns wants to talk some Nate Oates and hoops, and he asks. Assuming Nate Oates sticks around, is it reasonable to expect one national title from Alabama men's basketball in the next five to ten years, Tim? Um, Tough in hoops, man. Yeah, I mean, so hard. I mean, hoops is all. I mean, you see. Got to win six straight. Yeah, yeah, we see the best teams lose all the time. You know what I mean? I will say mentally, I think Nate Oates is a national championship coach. Uh, I think he knows what it takes to win those six games. You know, there's a lot of luck that goes involved. Basketball is a weird sport. I mean, we've seen the weirdest guys get hot against, you know, in, in any basketball game. You can have the most random guy off the bench just get cherry red hot, or there just can be an unstoppable guy. I mean, we've seen great basketball players dominate a game. So I would think it's hard, but I feel more confident that, Nate Oates can do it than I could any other <clears throat> considering the direction of the program considering already you know have been you know in the top 10 uh mentioning as a one seed at 1.2 seed uh possibly winning the SEC for the first time in a lot of years I think Nate Oates is heading in the right direction where I'm more confident he has the best chance out of any other Alabama coach it's tough it's tough I mean you know you look at even coaches like Cal at Kentucky and what they're able to do on the recruiting trail on an annual basis. And, you know, he's not sitting there with three, four, five national championships. It's, it's tougher to me to win the national championship in division one basketball than probably pretty much any other sport. I would have said maybe even baseball in the past, but now with, you know, you, 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 you can lose a game. You can lose a game at the college world series and you're not out. Right. You can't lose a game in the NCAA tournament basketball, in basketball. You, you're done. You know, the, there's no coming back from it. That Tarzanian UNLV team only won one, which to me 
was perhaps yeah. the most unbeatable of all teams that I've seen was that, that Jerry Tarkanian with Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, those guys playing. That was pretty much the most unbeatable team I had seen. And they, they, I mean, of course they lost in the championship game, but they, you know, they only won one championship. That's how hard it is to do. So I think, but I do, again, I think Nate Oates is putting together the pieces when you look at what he's got, when you look at what mm-hmm. he's in, um, and went in a championships more than getting, hey, get a bunch of recruits and roll the ball out there. Like you said, Calipari needed Anthony Davis to come back that second year. I'm, I'm wondering if he'd even have one. We've seen highly ranked classes at Duke, highly ranked classes at Kentucky, highly ranked classes at North Carolina this year, and they're struggling. So there's a lot. I mean, Gonzaga's got the best to me of what you want. You got talented guys going lottery, and you got older guys willing to do the work. And Alabama's got that team. They got a lot of senior leadership. It's hard to have a, a senior Herb Jones. It's hard to have a senior Petty, you know, a Quinterly, a lot of experience and age on that team. And I think it helps Alabama a lot. So, but I do think he's putting together the pieces heading in that direction. Kind of like football, mature veteran teams in college basketball, we're seeing, you know, being rewarded for that uh, during this COVID impacted season. Speaking of COVID, pre COVID anyway, McGruber asked what our our favorite SEC away games for Alabama and why? Um, I'll start. Mine might be a little bit of a surprise. I like Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss because it's not you know five plus hours away. I like the town of Oxford. I like to eat to a fault, and the options there are great in Oxford. Can't go wrong with just about anything there. Have a cool little bed and breakfast called the Z that is outstanding in Oxford. So as far as just SEC away games are concerned, my list starts with Oxford, Mississippi. You got a favorite, uh, Tim? Yeah, I mean, mine would be Baton Rouge. You know, we yeah, love, hard to beat, too. Yeah, New Orleans, Baton Rouge. You know, some people call it Paris. Some people call it Baton Rouge, like I do. <laughs> Red I have, stick. Yes, we have, you know, I have my good friend Shay Dixon out there. We're close to with him and his wife. Love the food. Get to go through New Orleans. Lively bunch, lively atmosphere, good students. You know, it's a it's a lot of there's a lot happening in Baton Rouge. You know, there's a lot of good things. Oxford's a great town, though. I've been there more than I have Baton Rouge. And it's sort of that small old fraternity house. It's got that old south kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that square and everything It's it's fantastic. I like Auburn. You know, I like Auburn. I think Auburn's similar to to Oxford where you can go down to Auburn and it's quiet. There's not as much to do, but you know, if you're just trying to watch a ball game and I had friends down there in college, I used to go down there and visit some, if you're just there to watch a ball game and hang out and meet people, it's a pretty easy place to navigate. So, um, I don't love Starkville for whatever reason, had never had a good experience in Starkville. Uh, I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's town of Starkville or if I'm just cursed when I go there, but I've never had a really good trip for some reason. Yeah, Starkville, uh, prior to the last four or five years, uh, it would be at the bottom of my list in all likelihood or right there near it. I haven't been in that time, so. it's It's gotten better. I mean, this SEC money is so immense that even Mississippi State can't hide it. You know, a lot of the same – to a smaller, on a smaller scale, mind you, but a lot of the same effects that you're seeing around Tuscaloosa in terms of um, enrollment growth and just city growth and those things that are happening here in Tuscaloosa, some of that's happening even in Starkville. Starkville, to me, 
has has stepped up uh, here in the last four or five years, and it's uh, it's kind of again on a smaller scale undergoing a similar boom as uh, so many of the SEC towns are. I haven't been in a few years, but my son has a few of his best friends are committed there for baseball, so I'll end up taking him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not this year, next year they're all seniors, but end up taking him there to see him. I promise we go see Mississippi State. So <clears throat> can't beat Duty Noble. I mean, Duty Noble, especially the new one, is unbelievable. That's a good baseball yeah. program, and you know we were talking baseball earlier. You know, if Alabama was in another conference, I would feel like that that's a pretty good Alabama baseball team we're seeing. But when you look at this SEC, the West, just the West, yeah, I mean it's insane. I mean, it's worse than football. It's, it's not like you know look, you got Florida, Vanderbilt, and even Tennessee in the East now. So it's not like it's not just the West. It's who you're crossing the river to to play. Mm-hmm. It's just an unbelievable um, competitive con- conference. No doubt about that. Alabama picked dead last in the West, but considered a top twenty-five team exactly. nationally. I think that pretty much that's insane. pretty much sums it up for you. That is insane. Uh, Literally. Let's get into some other ones. Your guy, Jam Bama. That's right. Um, best 90s attitude wrestler and match. Uh, who do you got? We'll just go with the best 90s attitude wrestler. Who do you got? I'm not a wrestling guy, but I'll tell you a guy I liked. I don't know if he's 90s or not, but I liked uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Yeah. yeah. Does he qualify? Athletic, look like an outside Jim, backer. Yeah, Jim might have been about the end of his run in the nineties, but uh, I remember he had that hit. he had that quiet charisma. All he had to do was get up on that top rope and hit you with the big splash, right? I remember thinking how impressive he was because a lot of those guys are big. This guy looked like he could have been a, you know, obviously a bodybuilder, outside linebacker, just about you know did so many things. I remember him. Obviously, I remember the big personalities, Andre the Giant, who, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, like I said, I'm not really into wrestling, but when I saw the Princess Bride, I went down an Andre the Giant rabbit hole because this whole time in my life, all I'd ever thought was Andre was a, you know, was a jerk because that was his role, you know, fighting Hulk Hogan. It's really confusing. You got Hulk Hogan's a nice guy, but he's a jerk to Rocky. You got Andre the Giant, who's a great guy, and the Princess Bride, but he's a jerk to Hulk Hogan, so it was confusing. But when I started reading about Andre the Giant, he literally is a giant. He's one of the most impressive people I've ever read or, or watched a documentary on. So he's larger than life, and I'm sure you have better names than me. But that Jimmy Superfly Snuka is the first wrestler that comes to mind when you ask me about wrestling. You know, for me in the 90s, I would uh, my favorite would be Scott Hall. I thought Scott Hall, uh, you know, with Kevin Nash and – the NWO, especially that you had there in the old WCW, love me some Scott Hall back in the nineties. I'm not sure if he, uh, he pretty much had something that would qualify as all of the above hair wise. Scott Hall, he was kind of the John Travolta of the, in the seventies look uh, of of wrestlers with a little perm to go with it. That's high praise yeah. come from. Yeah, I, you know, Shawn Michaels, I, I'm not sure if he had hit in the 90s or if he was more of the turn of the century. Um, but Shawn Michaels and Triple H, when they were teamed up, 
uh, back in the day, I think they would qualify. You know, my blanket answer on anything wrestling is the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. I mean, Nate was still bringing the heat in the nineties. You know, know, I mean, do you know him? So, uh, oh, I know, you know the but, guy. But, a guy I liked was the one that wore the kilt. That was also uh, Rod, Rod, Rowdy Roddy yeah. Piper. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was good, good on the stick too. Absolutely, yeah. he was a good villain. He was a good one. host of the Piper Pit talk show that he would do back in the days. Yeah. I liked Roddy Piper too, Tim. Yeah. He was a lot of fun. Funny dude, funny guy. He was a funny guy. Um, so Tim, we mentioned Travolta, something else we were going to talk about today. Best John Travolta role of all time. Best John Travolta role of all time. Could be television too. Cause people will go back to that. Welcome back. Kata, you know, that was a good show. My dad loved it. You know, I love, and I've mentioned this before on the show. I love urban cowboy. I don't know why I have these movies. Dude, Bud and Sissy. I mean, what are we talking here? West Hightower. We got Scott Glenn. There with 2% body fat, eating worms out of the tequila (laughs) bottle. And I mean, we got my boy. I mean, the thing about it is, if you're talking about going against type, I mean, Travolta up to that point had been, was he a Jersey guy? Saturday Night Fever, Welcome Back Carter, Long Hair. And here he is playing, if you'd never seen him before, playing a cowboy Working on it, you know, old whatever he's working on with oil. Playing the he was in Greece too, though. You know, yeah, that's Greece. what I'm saying. So he comes charging out of the gate with this movie that's nothing like we've ever seen him. You know, and of course he can dance. You know, the dude you can put him in any dance in the world, and apparently he can do it. But Urban Cowboy to me, it's one of those movies. You know, I told you I love Lake Placid, and I've got a few weird movies I'll just watch. I can watch Urban Cowboy anytime it's on TV, start to finish. I think it's just a Really good movie, really good act, and I'm I'm not much of a cowboy guy, but that to me that to me that's my favorite role he's in. Obviously, he's in great roles like Pulp Fiction, Face Off, Grease. I've seen them all. Big Travolta guy. Look who's talking. Yes, that's a, <laughs> he needed he know. needed a look who look who's talking to come back, man. Yeah. Because you know the '80s kind of went sour on John. He turned down actually lead roles in American Gigolo and mm. an officer and a gentleman. Richard Gere said thank you very much to both of those. And uh, John kind of had the downturn there, but he hit Look Who's Talking. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Pulp Fiction certainly uh, cast him back into the spotlight. Yeah, that dude's just had so many different you know, ups and downs in his career. I mean, you think he's gone and then he comes back, he's really strong, and he's got a list of you know, a lot of movies. He's well, you know, I love I mean, this is gonna be Wild Hogs. I don't know if you've seen it, but as a middle aged guy getting older, you know, you're talking about four middle aged guys taking Harleys across the country. That that movie's hilarious to me. Maybe it's just the dad in me now. I'm sure I'd have made fun of it when I was younger. Hey, you know what? Changing subjects. Did you see yesterday Adam Sandler's tweeting out the uh, happy Gilmore? That was cool. Yeah. Peter came nailed it. I was thinking Shooter. there is no reason in this world not to make a sequel to that movie. Senior golf version. There's yeah, no like the senior tour. In this world, not to have those two guys still pissed off, maybe reverse roles. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not doing a whole lot. Put it on Netflix. Adam Sandler, you, know, you shoot a movie every week for Netflix. Those, I would love to see it. All those guys. Uh, can shoot it outdoors during COVID. Yes. What COVID happened? friendly did shooting. Did they yeah. retire? You know, did Happy end up burning out, working for a grot? Garbage company shooter says something brings him back. I'll write the screenplay. I'd love. To I see think it. you. Are, I think you just did. I would you know, love. I, you, I would yeah. love to see 
Shooter's the best villain in a comedy I think I've ever seen. Don't give away too much here, Tim. You're giving yeah. away too much with the script. Come to the round table to see part two. Proprietary. Yeah. It's called Not Quite as Happy Gilmore. Goes to Bryant, wants to get back into food. Best wings in your particular area. Best wings in town. Homemade, not an option. Well, that takes my best wings out because mine are the best, of course. Um, Must be from a restaurant or store. Extra credit, Tim, if you include a sauce for your favorite area wings. All right. I need the extra credit points. Champy's here. Locally, Mm -hmm. really good. Sells it by the pound. Um, We love They have a little sauce called Sweet, Sweet Heat. That we mix yeah. in, it's really good. Well, you know, I'm down. Is it like a Thai? Is it like a Thai chili? Is that a little what that bit is? Quite that hot. It's a little bit more on the sweeter side than the heat. <clears throat> so we'll get them with the sweet heat. Pour a little uh, Louisiana hot sauce on a plate, and I'll lightly dabble in there with some ranch. So it's a good little mixture. Um, but Chavis does a good job. You know, other than that, I'm limited in wings. We had a really good wing place about six or seven years ago. In fact, it was longer than that. It was a great wing place, and that's when I found out Shannon had announced Mike Shula was hired, fired three weeks before he fired. I was trying to get wings, and Shannon just went with it. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that's back when the phone, you know, I was, you know, texting, uh, ding, 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 and it started the off. The good old days. They yeah. were asking me if Mike Shula was getting fired, and I was saying mm. I thought that was a possibility. And they were going, no, it's on your site. Mike Shula's getting fired. <laughs> and I was like, I just want these wings. I waited forever. What is, you know, and I called Shannon. <sighs> you know, it happened. It just happened a uh, few weeks down the road. But I'm limited wings-wise. What have you got? You know, we're, 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 we've been, we stepped the game up around here in restaurants in Tuscaloosa. Southern Ale House, if they have their roasted wings, but it's not an everyday menu item. So if I'm going to talk about an everyday option, you know, Archibald's in addition to the just goat ribs and barbecue in general, they now have put chicken wings on their menu and they are, as you would expect, they're tremendous. They're a little bit interesting because they're not just simply sauced with the Archibald sauce. They too have sort of almost a glaze. I think it incorporates the Archibald sauce, but it is also kind of a sweet chili taste to it maybe some honey going on in there i think and um man they are they are great now we also have a chain place in tuscaloosa called voodoo i don't know if anyone has had voodoo wings they for a chain wing i've kind of given you the off the menu option with southern ale i've given you the on the menu local option with archibalds now i'll give you the chain in voodoo and they they're sweet heat they're uh they're sweet heat wings and and they're and they're their garlic parmesan are are exceptional. So there you go. There you go. Hey, uh, one more from Ghost of Bryant before we get out of here, Tim. Who is the one Alabama player uh, the Crimson Tide can least afford to lose as it hits NCAA tournament time? That one's pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be Herb. It's got to be Herb, right? I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't want to lose Petty either, though. But yeah, Herb's the guy. I mean, he's a, I mean, it's been really, it's been, it's been awesome to watch that guy play. If you love basketball, Petty's obviously a great shooter, great competitor. I'm really impressed with how he's handled his senior year after sitting a few games. I love, you know, Petty's did a great job, but Herb's just that guy. I mean, you watch him, you know, he's one of the most fearless guys. He must have been blocked 15 times this year going to the basket, but he is going to the basket next time you see him. Um, finishes, um, 
you know, competes, defends, everything he does. Got blocked the other day, and I watched him sprint up the – didn't have any prayer getting back in that play, but he sprinted up the floor, bad back and all. Um, just a lot of effort from that guy. Uh, so, yeah, I would definitely say Herb. You don't want him to, you know, go, he's your glue guy, playing injured. He's sort of the heart mm-hmm. and soul team to me. Yeah, he is the uh, – he's the rudder for that basketball team. I agree with you on Petty, too. Uh, you lose that not only shooting presence, but sort of that all-around ability that he has crafted for himself over the last couple of years. Either one of those guys, it would not be good to go an extended stretch with without one or both. Hey, uh, Tim, as we get out of here, Crimson Wolf, by the way, he wanted to chime in on the family-based sitcom. Adam's family are the monsters for Crimson Wolf. Those are two good ones, too. Two good ones, no doubt about that. Hey, Tim, as always, enjoyed it, my man. Yeah, it was great. We'll do it next week. Appreciate you guys on the roundtable. Absolutely. Stick with us there on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tides fans everywhere. It is, of course, BamaOnline.com where you're going to find us. And you're also going to find us here on the Bama Online podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription, a rating, and a review for the Bama Online podcast? We would greatly appreciate that. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here. We'll do it again real soon. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.